everyone, thanks for joining. Uh, today I am speaking again with Helen Pluckrose. Helen is the managing editor at Aereo and she's also the owner of Aereo. Helen's also an author and she's got a book coming out, well hopefully soon, that she co-authored with James Lindsay called Cynical Theories. Hey Helen, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me back. Yeah. So I was actually uh, hoping to speak to you because you've been doing, I mean, and you, be, you do this quite a bit, um, which I think is good. Uh, you know, you talk about the difference between liberalism, or you know, I, I say enlightenment values, basically the same thing, I think, and this current, you know, critical social justice wokeness, whatever you want to call it. So I was hoping, like, you know, speak to you about the differences between the two, and why some people may think there's some overlap. Mm-hmm. So if you want to start, maybe with the differences, or like at least. Yeah. The, the, like the basic tenets of each and then go from there. Yeah. So we've got with... Um, oh. So liberalism is really a philosophy. It's something that emerged in fits and spurts over the modern period. It's exemplified by people like Mary Wollstonecraft and uh, Mill, but it really is mostly um, an attitude. It's it's pluralistic it, it wants a lot of different ideas to be able to exist together and not to have to be reconciled but for people to be able to live their own lives say what they believe apply those beliefs to their own lives but not um, to anybody else's so within the philosophical concept of liberalism there's a big focus on in on the individual mm-hmm. and individual freedom and there's a focus on the universal so we're all humans and there's um, society is offering something to all of us and so everybody must have access to this so while as liberalism was developing it did pretty badly at first at offering um, everything society had to offer to everybody so a lot of the time people will point out that slavery and colonialism and patriarchy existed in the lib- in the modern period but liberalism is that force which has has over time just got rid of and dismantled oppressive um, forces in society. So it's it was a liberal impulse that ended slavery. Liberalism, which makes colonialism appear to be clearly morally wrong, that gave women and racial and sexual minorities the same rights. So we've got that individual in society wanting to have access to all of it. Now, and the critical social justice that emerged. Um, well, it, it's got a lot of forces going into it, but where we see the ideas that we see now of knowledge, power, and language, that came together at the end of the 60s. And that came in explicit contradiction to liberalism. It regarded science and liberalism as a white weapon, progress as a myth. So it's this big... Um, meta-narrative is what liberalism is is understood as and really it was just serving the interests of the dominant groups in society so the critical social justice wants to put put power back into identity groups whereas liberalism is, is the individual and the universal the critical social justice comes in the middle there and it gets all those different groups which can be classified by their race, their gender identity, their sex, their um, disability uh, or whatever 
these these kind of identity groups and it focuses on those which it says with with some justification liberalism had not fully um paid attention to and but it it really does cut out the individual so we haven't got this focus on individual freedom and we haven't got this focus on pluralism so with critical social justice we have cultural relativism that is i believe this because i come from this place you believe something else that is just as true that is just as moral and so this kind of relativism where different things can be true at the same time and we're obligated to support the belief systems that have been marginalized in the past is very different to the liberal idea of pluralism where a lot of ideas can exist at the same time but they can also be discussed they can be argued out they don't have to um, be arranged in a hierarchy or they don't have to be respected that's where the marketplace of ideas comes in where people bring their ideas and they can argue them out <laughs> okay so i mean it's a good yeah it's basically a good good description but see like i i understand the impulse to say okay um you know with the latest you know ever since george floyd you know black people have been marginalized so we don't want black people marginalized but to do something that's blanket for all black people like you said you are going to miss out on the individuals because there could be someone like say neil degrasse tyson um you know successful astrophysicist now he doesn't need you know whatever you know uh, disadvantages you feel he has he doesn't need the same thing as a poor black family in the projects in new york city or chicago or in rural alabama right like th there's so i don't understand how they can at the same time say there's all these differences there you know each group is different we have to look at these unique differences and then come up with a cookie cutter approach and just a blanket policy that says this will fix everything in that group like that internal contradiction just i don't understand that yeah and i think what what you're pointing at there is the problem in which intersectionality and critical race theory um more generally um, often fails to pay enough attention to class. So there are some um, some of the earlier, uh, I'm just listening to Angela Davis at the moment now, she <laughs> certainly paid attention to class. But um, as, as critical race theory and intersectionality has developed, it has paid less and less attention to class. So it really is looking at um, attitudes, biases, and ways of speaking about th things. So. This is, a, this is another thing, again, to perhaps add some more confusion. Within the scholarship that isn't liberal, you've got materialist, which comes from the Marxist socialist, and you've got critical social justice, which comes from the postmodern. So you've got the Marxist saying we need to look at economics, law, politics, government. And you've got the postmodernist saying we need to look at attitudes, bias, discourses, microaggressions, um, the violence of language. And those, that kind of thing is coming up. And critical race theory has gone, has in over the last 30 years, but particularly in the last 10, it has come right away from the materialist side. And, and we're looking much, much more at the postmodern side. Okay. But, okay, again, I still don't know, like, because I try to speak with friends, and I have friends who 
I know they've never heard this stuff before in their life. I, I know that I should say never heard it, but they've never studied it. They're the same age as I am. They're not in academia. As soon as the George Floyd thing happened, it's like, oh, yo, why are you being so fragile? You have to check your own privilege, or yo, like stop, like yo. Just the, the language is all of a sudden everywhere, and everyone's using it. And mm. like, when I try to talk to them and explain, it's like I literally have to get them to say, here, read these books. Uh, luckily now, uh, you know, James has started the new discourses, so I can just kind of point them there, point them there. But like, like that appeal to it, like at least with liberalism, it says you can have all these ideas. The ideas might be wrong. It doesn't mean the people are wrong. Whereas I find with this stuff is, if you say the idea is wrong, like you'll hear it, like oh, you're denying my existence. And mm. I don't know. They give like this magic power to words, and I have a huge appreciation of words, and I have a huge appreciation of the written language. But you know, it's because it's descriptive, and it's because it can help you understand something. But it has no power. Like there is no magic spell. You know, it's it's like the power of the name or something. Mm. Well, I th- I think you know you're you're speaking then, and this, this there isn't really a divide. But what you're um, talking about the usefulness of language to explain ideas. Um, that's um, so logocentrism. So that's the belief that we can reliably convey meaning. So the liberals share this. That's what the marketplace of ideas is about. We believe that if you get these ideas together and you get them to do battle, victors will emerge. So, but the social justice people they don't um, think that language works that way. They think that powerful forces in society decide how we should talk about something and then people accept this as knowledge and they perpetuate it on every level of society and this holds certain groups down. So I mean this isn't this isn't without some merit. If you have a look back at things like um, Uncle Tom's, Tom's Cabin and mm-hmm. um, Huckleberry Finn, the language in there will immediately strike you as incredibly racist. It's shocking to people in this this time. At that time, it wasn't. If you're living in a society that speaks about its different um, groups like that, then mm-hmm. it is quite difficult to to think outside that. So there isn't. There, it's not that there is no basis in this idea of of discourses. What they are getting wrong, I I would say, is this idea that they alone have the truth. They are woke to the. Um, structures of power and privilege that are, are dominating society and that they have to explain them to us, to, to everybody else. Otherwise, we, we can't um, say, well, yes, I, I'm with you against the whole idea of racism, but I've got a bit of a different approach where I'm, I'm a humanist rather than an identity politician. Can we work together? That would be a no. That would be your failure to understand the power of, of language and to be continuing to speak into a colonialist white supremacist narrative <laughs> okay, personally I find that very demeaning I mean yeah. <laughs> the, the fact that they're saying like, no, but the, there's certain knowledge that's you know should be denied to me or that I, that is beyond me because of the color of my skin you know uh, like lately I've been seeing this stuff with the math with math you know it's like oh this is a white way of knowing and, and that, that whole like, I mean, it, it reminds me of, and I'm not saying these people are platonic, but it reminds me of like Plato's idea of philosopher kings, right? These people who have studied, who have the knowledge, will tell you what is true, and they'll dictate to you. Mm-hmm. And it all, I mean, it, 
they pretty much say all right like don't listen to anyone who doesn't say this they're the ones who have the knowledge and you know and then they privilege okay listen to people of color or listen to this and you know like i said it, it to me it has that idea of like the philosopher kings of plato like only certain people can talk um again i don't see how they can square that with saying listen to marginalized people when you have someone uh, i mean i just saw this yesterday so like to say one like john mcwhorter you know and they'll call him the most horrible names because he's not saying what they want him to say even though he's a person of color right Mm. Yeah, th th this is where the idea of, of discourses um, come in. So it isn't straightforwardly um, about identity. Otherwise, if you were just to all listen to, a, to black women, we'd be having to try and reconcile Kimberley Crenshaw with Candace Owens, and that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, but it's about uh, discourses of white supremacy. So it's white people who are expected... Uh, not even to know that they're doing this because whiteness just seems like the norm um, to them. So they will speak into this and it will oppress people of colour. People of colour can have a problem with having internalised um, these ideas. They could speak into the discourses as well, but they're more likely to be able to see it. So when it comes to somebody who isn't white and who is criticising um, critical social justice ideas, there are really two options. Either they have internalized the narratives and are, are completely brainwashed, or they are cynically trying to uh, gain power and prestige for themselves by giving um, the white powers that be what they want to enable them to continue to oppress people who aren't white. So that that's where the anger comes from with people like John McWhorter. It's, it's an anger at... Um, you are enabling white supremacy while we are trying to dismantle it <laughs> yeah i mean i was speaking with a, a couple of friends over the last couple of weeks and i see this like when i look at when i look at islam and i look at the way apostates are treated especially women right yeah. uh you only did this because you wanted to have sex with the kufar you only did this because you want to sin you only did this because you know you're a slut you're a whore whatever mm. you know and then calling you know even reform muslims like majid nawaz got called a house muslim by people who are saying you know they call them a racist house muslim and i'm like do you not realize where that term comes from and how racist yeah. that term is and now i see it with like the again with after the you know what happened with george floyd and all the protests if you didn't support Black Lives Matter, you were again an Uncle Tom, or you know, I can use worse words. And I saw, mm -hmm. you know, women being told you're only doing this because you want white dick. And it's like it's the yeah. exact same kind of attacks. It's the exact same mentality. And I mean, I, I, I there's there were some ex-Muslims, and it wasn't like a argument or anything, but it was like you can see that with Islam in the papers. We saw it in the press. You know, oh, Islamophobia. When you criticized the hijab, it was Islamophobia. When you criticized anything about Islam, it was Islamophobia. I'm like, now you have people who are, you know, black telling you that maybe there's a problem here. And they're being attacked in the same way. I'm like, can't you notice that parallel? Like, I find people just put blinders on. Like, if it affects them, like the Islam thing, the ex-Muslims will notice it. But then they might not notice the race thing because it fits in with, with what they want. And, and like, that... Yeah that's frustrating to me 
Yeah, I, I think there's very close parallels with with religion. I mostly be, before I I was dealing with these postmodern ideas, I was criticising religion, and I was focusing purely because of where I am geographically in my own background, mostly on Christianity. Mm-hmm. And the arguments that I would get from Christians then, they would tell me that I did really know that God existed. Um, it says so. I, I knew it in my heart, but I was—I'd hardened my heart against it. I was—I just wanted to to sin. I wanted to not be responsible for my actions. And it really is the same kind of language because it's human nature. When we get those of us who believe we have the one truth. And it's something, I mean, really simple and and enticing. This is the strange thing. With all the social justice ideas, it seems like they're really complicated and difficult to get your head around. But in fact, what they do is simplify the world. Mm-hmm. They, they make a, a simple frame that you can read everything through. And then you know what what to do, how to how to be good, how to be bad. Um, you've, you've got a, a goal. You're never actually going to to reach it because you'll just problematize more and more things. But there's the community, and and I really do think that this has great similarities with the appeal of religion. And uh, this this is just a just the sort of basis of of human nature. But there's always those of us who don't find this so appealing <laughs> and looking at it like what what is wrong with you why how are you thinking <laughs> yeah. the, the religious thing and okay now obviously I, I you know i've read some of this stuff and thanks to you and james i decided i have to read this um so you know you've warped my brain a little uh, but <laughs> the way i looked at it was like once it got once intersectionality you know early 90s when crenshaw started working on it and that became the framework. I look at it as intersectionality is is Christianity. Then critical race theory, gender studies, queer theory, all the rest of it is Catholicism, Orthodoxy, uh, you know, Lutheranism, Baptism. Like, am I correct there, or am I a little off? Yeah, I th- I think there's a lot of the same the same drives there. Certainly, I mean, I am more familiar with the cultural map of of Christianity, mm. so I can certainly see. The, the the appeal that there is to some people in recognizing themselves as flawed and wanting to kind of subject themselves to a higher power and be sort of sanctified um, by it. There's a, there's really quite a masochistic element in there, which I think we also do see quite a lot of in in Christianity, less so in Islam, I think. Yeah, Islam is not so much masochistic unless you talk with the Shias when they do the 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 month of uh, like oh, yeah. Wadeh Moram. Okay, that that that's. But I mean that that is to, the, yeah. Um, but I mean it's Islam is like I think far more retributive than it is masochistic. Like you don't really, you know, you don't go after yourself. You go after those who have transgressed against you. And I find that in like this critical social justice. Like the retributive a- aspect of it is, I mean, it's horrible. It's um, like I, like I know you've mentioned him before, uh, Franz Fanon. I read his book mm. in the late '80s, and I read it again in the '90s, in the early '90s, like in school. And I mean, I mean that's all that is. Is you did this to us, so for an equal amount of time, we're going to have to oppress you. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't see where you get anywhere with that. 
No, I, th- I think humans, we've got this strong sort of sense of, of justice that works on reciprocity. And so this is where liberalism com- comes in again. Liberalism would like us to say, we have oppressed um, ra- racial minorities, sexual minorities and women. That was wrong. We must make a world where, where we don't do that anymore. <laughs> that isn't really enough to for the critical social justice people. There needs to be reparations and not, um, you know, purely financial ones there needs to be a reckoning in which all members of the dominant group are brought to the full realization of their ancestors and fully atone for it and this I, I think this is this is again common in humans we get this sins of the father thing we get the family feuds the vendettas that go on for generations until nobody remembers how they started it's something very tribal and intuitive to us yeah, but I mean, the, 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 the just the, the the revenge aspect of it, and you did this to us. I mean, okay, take so you take the you know the the, the enterprise, the enlightenment. You take you know liberalism. I'm just going to focus on North America or the United States mainly. But by the end of the '60s, as far as race relations went, you know, you had the Civil Rights Act, you had you know the Voting Rights Act, you had the laws that were in place that legally kept black people down were gone now I'm not saying you know anyone who says the minute those laws were gone everything changed is wrong because it takes a while for the attitudes to change but yeah like, like I said the, the retribution stuff it, it I, I, don't, I don't get it like I, I still don't understand why okay I understand wanting to get back at someone for you know you killed my mother. I want to get back at you. I understand that, but it's 500 years ago, someone with the same color skin as you did something to me. So now you owe me, you owe me something. Now I get that. Okay. Again, take the United States with everything, with all the laws and everything that were in place, you held people down. Now, once those laws are gone, there has to be something done to help those communities get back up to a certain level so that then they then can pull themselves up by their bootstraps that like people say right like if you're starting from absolute zero no no matter how much hard work or dedication you have there's not much you can do but once you recognize that okay we kept this community down what you know the, the laws are gone but we need to help bring that community back up but it seems to me that they're still focusing on laws that are non-existent that are keeping someone down and it's like you're the, you know, the focus is on the wrong thing you're like oh the, the system is racist okay but where is it racist i mean the system is oppressive and that oppression again like you were mentioning class before it you know poor if it's affecting poor black people is it affecting poor people of all colors in that neighborhood if it is then it's not a racial thing it's you know it's a class thing but they just want to look through that one lens and they're trying to fit everything into that lens you know yeah it certainly makes it much more difficult to address anything if we're coming from the assumption that everything is explained by these invisible systems of power I mean I'm you know I, I, I live in the UK I'm, I'm fairly sure that here it is life is still quite a bit 
more difficult if you are not white. I mean, there's um, the South Asian people are particularly successful financially, but when it comes to ideas around around race, the people who are racist and have the most power to inflict racist racism, it is going to be the black and South Asian people who are going to suffer from this the most. But when we're looking at class issues, this seems to make a much bigger impression. And what often gets left out completely as well is the idea of subcultures. So if you are South Asian here, you're something like four times more likely to be a doctor than the general population. This isn't caused by a, a form of prejudice and discrimination against everybody else. This is caused by South Asian Brits having particularly high esteem for medicine. <laughs> so this is a, a subcultural thing. But then we get into a dangerous area if we're talking, for example, about African Americans and then there's a conservative tendency to just say, well, it's just this criminal sort of um, uh, subculture that doesn't um, stay as, as nuclear families and it's all completely their fault. We're about to publish an excellent, excellent piece by John Wood Jr. Um, <laughs> from Braver Angels about this. He's looking at the cultural arguments from the conservatives and the ideas from the liberals about sort of generational um, oppression. So trying to bring these two things together, we know that the thing that is most likely to make someone successful is if their parents were successful. If it's two generations since African Americans have even been allowed to try to be successful, it's not surprising that they've not sort of caught up yet. You know? well, so that there's so many different factors to consider at once. Yeah. No, I mean, okay, I get that. And it's, again, like, I think, still think that and maybe my timeline is wrong here, uh, and I'm not, I'm not going back to postmodernism and critical theory, but again, sticking with intersectionality and all that. Mm. I think when that, when, like, the intersectional version of all these things, when people started getting degrees in them, that was around the late 90s. So, like, when you had critical race theory married with the intersectional framework, then you're getting people with masters and PhDs coming out. It was around the late 90s. And that's when they started getting into making policy. You know, they might have been junior managers or interns or whatever. They worked their way up. By the time Obama gets in, they've moved themselves up and they've hired others who think the same way. Because if you want to solve race issues, you hire someone with a PhD in critical race theory. Just like if you want to solve, you know, a problem in chemistry, you're going to hire a PhD in chemistry. You know, it's, it makes sense. It's, it's a logical step to do. Mm -hmm. But then now we've got this stuff forming policy, and it's like again, like instead of focusing on the issue, they focused on race. But um, the the thing with the police shootings, you know, police are hunting down black men on a daily basis. It's like okay, well, the facts don't show up that. So if you're going to go try to solve that problem, instead of solving a problem of policing, and you're trying to solve a problem of racism in the police, you're not getting to the issue that's causing. Like, you're not fixing the underlying issue. You're probably going to make it even worse. So, it, uh, that singular view of the world is what I don't understand. Like, I'm, maybe I, I'm too dense, I don't know, but I, I just don't get having that one singular view of the world. It, it is a really simplistic and reductionist um, approach, and I think this is why people are so zealous with it. They think they feel as though they've discovered 
the the secret, the answer to everything. Oh God! And then they, um, yeah, and so they then impose that on everything else. And then because this is critical race theory is really such an American phenomenon, when academics and activists take it on over here in the UK, it works even less well because we don't have that same history of um, living alongside. Two, two races living alongside each other with one in slavery and then in a subordinated position. The people the UK oppressed are still mostly in the countries that we oppressed them in. So we have got a different kind of, uh, <coughs> of dynamic going on here. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. It really work when people try to try to call race theory. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you that. Like, it came out of American law schools and it was dealing with American issues like American legal issues and you know like I okay a couple of points that Derek Bell brought up in his first paper I thought the initial point made sense like when he said they should have desegregated education not desegregated schools that idea in and of itself kind of makes sense but then when he goes on and just saying oh they should have just kept them all black I'm like okay that maybe that's going a little far I, I get the idea that if you took if you made education equal in both both the, you know in black schools and white schools if you gave them the same level of education that would be better than just bussing people back and forth from schools I, I get that that idea is better than just you know taking a bunch of black kids bussing them for two hours a day to a, a neighborhood in a, in a, you know with a, but with a better school why not fix the school in their neighborhood but then once it like I, like I don't understand how that translates like you were mentioning how does that translate in the UK or how does that translate into France or you know now uh, I was speaking with uh, Tamara Brewer Brower. She, you know she was saying some of it's coming into Holland. Like, I you know these are all colonial powers. I get it, but I don't understand how something that came out of the legal system in the U.S. is now affecting policy in the U.K. Mm. It's uh, because I, I think we have the same scholars, we have the same activists. That's we've got the same kind of cultural revolution going on. So there, there are different flavors to, to things. There'll be a greater focus on imperialism um, in the UK, uh, but and a greater focus on anti-blackness in the US. But it's the same underlying um, concept of, of whiteness, of discourses, of attitude, of bias, that really just, they're not falsifiable. You can't get at them. <laughs> No, it's like, like I said, I'm, I'm still, okay, yeah, and again, I read this stuff, and it's, it gets simplistic, and I know, I know you're, yeah, I know it's not, like, they, they break it down to very one, you know, it's it's always sin, whatever that sin is, whether it's patriarchy or racism or homophobia or whatever, but it's always sin, but they make it so complicated, you know, it's, it's like one of those little kids, you know the, the mazes they have little for little kids when you go out to a restaurant sometimes I don't know if they have them in the UK and the, the kids are playing and they got to do this maze and it's you know all windy and everything but you basically end up back at the same spot and that's what it is it's like you're going from A to B and you can take the short route or you can do the little windy thing and they come back to the same pl- place I mean uh, but getting back to the liberalism aspect I still don't understand why I I Maybe if I finish your book, I can I could it'll shed some light on it. Is why do 
like, why are they so afraid of debate? Why are they so afraid of, like, I don't think I've ever seen that Robin DiAngelo debate anyone. Uh, you know, like, no, I, no, she won't do that. You know, it's Again, it's like the Muslim scholars. They won't debate people. It's the same kind of thing. They have no confidence in the marketplace of ideas. They think that language is inherently dangerous and that it is really unethical and, and dangerous to let, let somebody address an idea, to state an opinion which they believe um, perpetuates racism or transphobia or anything else because they believe there's such social constructivists that they, be they believe everything all social reality is constructed by the way we speak about things so if you were to have if they were right about this if everything really was underlain by discourses of power then all that would happen if you got a liberal in conversation with a critical social justice person in their mind is that the liberal would speak to the common sense view held by most people they would consider them to be right right because they've they've thought their way into this discourse and they just wouldn't wouldn't hear the um, the critical race theorists and so their ideas would would lose in the in the marketplace of idea and this is because they've they've not been the general public have not been awakened not been made woke, woke to the systems of power that that underlie everything yeah um, okay I haven't read a lot of him because a, I don't have the time um, but I mean that's like that's kind of that was kind of like with Foucault right um, the <coughs> If if you have, sorry, I lost my train of thought here. So, but I mean, the way you talk, like there is an objective reality out there. With, you know, liberalism, you can say we can come to a consensus that everyone can agree on on what that is, more or less. Even though, you know, you we might never know. You know, like scientifically, like you know, you can never know the position and the spin of a particle in quantum physics, but you can approximate it, and we can all come to an understanding of where that is. Whereas, like this, 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 this thing from Foucault, where it's you, no one, like my view of the world and your view of the world, like there is a there is a reality out there, but the way I see it, the way you see it, are never going to be the same. And we're going to never going to get to any common ground. Now, if we're never going to get to any common ground, how do they make a group out of that then? Like, how do you have a group without any common ground? If each member of that group, or do they think each member of that group sees it all the same way? Like, I, I don't understand, like, like that part of it. Well, the uh, first postmodernists, they weren't at all optimistic about coming to any kind of consensus at all. Mm. They really were, were quite despairing of the ability to communicate, to access reality, and so they really just wanted to just dismantle everything. It was at the, the end of the 1980s, the next wave, including Butler and Kimberley Crenshaw, um, started looking at these ideas and saying, we need to make these more user-friendly. That's when the idea of actually using them for activism to unite people was, was brought up. So Crenshaw would say, um, there's a problem with saying I am a person who happens to be black because then you're going for universalism and you're not getting at the nub of the problem that's affecting you. But if you identify first and foremost as I am black, 
that is something that can be a source of power where people can come together and sort of a kind of strategic essentialism where they say we are this group we feel like this we need to band together and 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 get that perception out there of course it's undermined continually by as as society generally does become less and less racist and people start to access different parts parts of society and then we end up with things like um, gay conservatives black conservatives which you know it wasn't possible really only about sort of 20 or 30 years ago it was very difficult to to um to be a, a black or gay conservative when it, until very very recently so this idea that, that the first postmodernists really weren't trying to do anything with it the next lot were, but they were still not completely um, goal-orientated. And we've got the next lot with um, Robin DiAngelo and um, Barbara Applebaum and, and the people who've been writing in the last decade, where they've now got the one truth of social justice, the simple um, truth of how our society works with systems of power and privilege, and now we know exactly what to do. Everybody must dismantle their whiteness. They must detoxify their masculinity. And um, this is an ongoing process that can never properly be done, but at least we feel as though we're doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, but that's it, right? You feel like you're doing the right thing, so whatever makes you feel good has got to be good. But, you know, just because it makes you feel like you're doing the right thing, but things are getting worse, you know, I'll say again that I think by the by around the late 90s, we'd gotten to the point where we said, okay, you know what? Yes, there is structural problems. There are systemic problems that stem from racial inequalities, from laws. And I think we'd gotten to the point where we were almost colorblind, where it didn't matter what the skin color was. But then this stuff started focusing on it again. Okay, let, let's say in the next year or so, people come to the realization that this is all bunk and hopefully they do mm -hmm. what are the universities going to do you know what are the people with all these degrees that spent a lot of money can they just turn around and sue the universities i mean like i think the academy has shot itself in the foot like, it's done a huge disservice to itself and to the population in general by sowing distrust because uh, i'm sorry like if i if i'd come out with a phd in race studies and you know, I'm defending it, and all of a sudden it turns out that, you know what, sorry, we were wrong. And I spent, if I did that at Harvard, I would have been spending like thirty, forty thousand dollars a year, if not more. <laughs> I think realistically, that the best we can hope for is that what will happen within the scholarship is that it will realize that it's a bit silly. This, this I mean, this was, you know, a large part of the aim of our project was to make academic want to distance themselves from this stuff I think more and more of them will start doing that uh, and what it will look like is that the scholarship has taken um, another turn so there was postmodernism and that was a very difficult time to get anything out and then we came into the next the next wave of theory and then the next wave so the next wave could be a bit of a return to um, empiricism to liberalism and these kind of ideas so it's not as though I don't think it's going to happen that the theorists are going to say, 
ah, we were wrong about that. They will move beyond it to something that's that's better. That's that's I think the best thing we can hope for, unless the worst happens and we get the populist rights um, shutting down and defunding um, the courses. Yeah. I mean, I. I I've been saying this, like, you know, we've spoken before, like, I came back in 2014 from working in war zones, and I saw what was going on, and I'm like, okay, first thing in my head is, these are blasphemy laws, like, when did we get blasphemy laws again? And, I mean, I saw it in relation to what you could and couldn't say about Islam. Uh, and then more and more, but I, 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 I'm looking at this, and I just, like, I, I don't know. I don't know when... I, I, I honestly... I don't feel good about where we are. I mean, like the the populist right. Like I'm I'm looking at the overcorrections from the left, and I'm scared of it, and I don't like it. But I'm terrified by what an overcorrection from the right could look like. Yeah. You know, and that that could really bring, take back genuine racial, gender, sex equality. That that could yeah, take I mean, way back. I mean, okay. I just look at it in numbers, right? In the United States, I think it's about sixty-five percent white. You know, 65 to 70 percent. So let's even take the lower end, 65 percent of it. Why would you want to push a philosophy that's going to make us and them, you know, the 65 percent feel set upon by the other 35 percent? And then you add things to it like an idea like BIPOC. You know, mm. then you're again subdividing that 35 percent. So they're infighting. You know. If I was a KKK, I'd be so happy about things like that. You know, like, in fact, the KKK were happy about some of the things Black Lives Matter did. I think, what, 75 colleges had some form of segregated graduation last year. Mm -hmm. So, in 2019. Um, I, I believe, and this is the last time I checked, it was something about 18 schools were thinking of segregating dorms. And this is all because of Black Lives Matter. And, I mean... Like, doesn't that, wouldn't that give you, you know, like, just a reason to, like, step back? Like, if the KKK is agreeing with what I'm doing, maybe it's not the best in terms of racial, you know, race relations. Like, like... <laughs> they're, they're not hold, holding universalism up as a template. They'd see themselves as the opposite to the uh, KKK, but they'd also spend much more time criticizing the liberals who say they want to achieve the same thing, the utter destruction of racism, but are offering different methods of achieving that. They actually see us as more dangerous. I mean, Robin D'Angelo says this, she says the the white progressive is um, does the most harm, um, you know, more than white supremacists apparently, <laughs> because we from her perspective, we look as though we want to help, we say the right things, we think of ourselves as non-racist and try to be good people, and all the time we're damaging people of colour because we're not um, internalising critical race ideas. Oh yeah, okay, like, I'll never internalise those things, so I guess I'll always be a heretic because, okay, you know, I read... I, I think I read far too much, but I mean, I read D'Angelo, I read Sullivan, I read uh, Applebaum, uh, Peggy McIntosh, Hills Collins, Crenshaw, you know, like, mm -hmm. Bell, uh, Kendi, <laughs> I read far too much of this stuff, and it's, uh, maybe I shouldn't have, but it's, but it is horrific, I think people actually should read it, it's, it's the same way that I feel that, you know, teach religion in school as a subject, not as a, as a faith or whatever, like, teach it for what it is, I think like sociology or you know 
those fields should study this as what went wrong like a wrong way of doing things I, I don't want this banned I don't want anything banned you know like uh, obviously like you know I don't want someone going in there teaching people to kill group X or whatever universities but ideas and where they came from should be studied the same way that you know Nazism should be studied or communism should be studied like you know, even the brutal, brutal regimes that happened those should be studied to see what went wrong and how we can avoid it and same thing with this stuff like I don't want it banned but I don't want it taught as this is how you look at the world I, you know like if you do a comparative of it and you do okay we'll take you know enlightenment values we'll take this stuff we'll take Marxism we'll take um, whatever utilitarianism and we'll compare them now, if you've done a comparative you think one is better that's that's your choice I may disagree with you but I, I don't want to force you um, but this seems the other side like we're only gonna do this scholarship and it's coming to anything like I mean critical race theory and maths I still don't get to how that works <laughs> no no, I mean, this is, uh, you know, what I, I think, and that this is what we argue in the book, that we need to do two things about this right now. First of all, we have to immediately impose the rules of secularism, of secularism onto critical social justice. So we need for there to be an understanding that this is a belief system which is protected under freedom of belief. People may believe it, they may say they believe it, they may apply it to their own lives. They must not apply it to anybody else's. That really needs to be understood immediately because these ideas are getting institutionalized, they're being presented as the neutral opposition to racism or transphobia and they're, they're just one approach and they're not um, a broadly accepted one. Liberalism still has, still has far greater universal appeal so it really does need to do battle. The second thing, second thing that we need to do is that we need to beat it in the marketplace of ideas and we can't do that by suppressing it or banning it or defunding it it needs to come out and argue its case and address what its critics are actually saying the problem is that they don't do that they just say well you have not um, become, a, become aware you don't have the critical consciousness to know what's going on you're just protecting your privilege we don't ever get at the arguments yeah okay I, again that's another thing I see with Islam. Oh, you didn't read the Quran enough. You didn't study enough. Oh, you didn't engage. You didn't do the work. It's a, it's a, the exact same I mean, it's the same argument. It's Once you hear one, you hear the other. Now, granted they might say like, I mean, I see you and James you know, being told that you didn't, you haven't read enough and I mean, you guys know yeah. you know, orders of magnitude far more than I do. But okay, but fine. There isn't an amount. We have to keep reading until we agree with it. Yeah, you have to keep doing the work, and it's uh, it's it's frustrating. Um, look, I know you, you're really busy, and I I, I really would appreciate you uh, taking your time. But if you have any last words, and or or if you want, because when I did speak with James and your so you know quote unquote friend Iona recently, they took some times to disparage you. So you know, if you'd like to okay. give, <laughs> well, Iona made some fun of your cooking. Did she? I shall, I shall be inviting Iona around for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds ominous. <laughs> well, yeah, if you want to let people know where you can where they can get a hold of you, uh, so again, if you have any last words or any last defense of liberalism, before I let you go. Yeah. Well, I th I think what we need to be doing at the moment, since the George Floyd protests, there has been 
I'm getting hundreds of emails, hundreds of DMs. There are people who are being forced into a very specific kind of diversity training where they have to affirm belief in systems of whiteness, of um, invisible systems of privilege and power and implicit bias that the trainers know their mind better than they do. This is really quite alarming. So if you are in need of pushing back at that, you can get in touch with me at helen.pluckrose at areomagazine.com and I will sign you up to my Discord server where we have people dealing with these issues in all different kinds of spheres, so uh, education and um, tech and art and um, all, all these different uh, areas of employment. And I think if you need to write back, we're going to write a letter soon. We, it, it's already in a huge, huge draft. It needs tidying up for people to to respond to their employer to say the two things they need to make very, very clear if they're talking about um, not wanting a, a belief system of critical social justice imposed upon them. They need to say, need to show that it isn't coming from a place of ignorance. We know what these theories are. We don't think they're the best way. And it's not coming from a place of bigotry, fully in support of anti-racist aims, anti-sexist aims, but this is not the way. What we need is for liberals to get really confident with saying, I share your aims. I want to see the end of racism. I do not share your methods and I don't have to. No, that's that's good. That's a that's a upbeat note we can kind of end on because I I lately I've been so depressed. Well, thank you very much, Helen. I'll I'll put the links to uh, I'll put your email and I'll put the links to um, you know Ario and all that in the in the description. And if you have anything, I'll send it along my way. Well, thank you very much for coming on, and thank you everyone that for listening. Good chat. Thank you for having me.